0: Hi, Dave Emmer here. This is For the Record, program number 1291. How many lies before you belong to the lies? Part 23. This is being recorded on February 13th of the year 2023. Last Friday, we completed the last Two of the interviews with Jim DeGemio, and uh, we were joined uh, with, by Lisa Peace, another of the participants in JFK Revisited. That was a total of 27 programs, and what we're going to do for the next two or three shows is to update as best we can coverage of the war in Ukraine. Uh, the title of the program, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, comes from the late, brilliant, and heroic stand-up comedian, Mort Saul, who in his autobiography, Heartland, published in 1976, asked that rhetorical question. It was in conjunction with the assassination of JFK, also his brother Robert, Martin Luther King, and so many other things. In addition to being uh, arguably America's most talented stand-up comedian, Mort Sahl was also one of Jim Garrison's investigators when the late New Orleans B.A. was investigating the assassination of JFK. And in connection with the Ukraine war, uh, it is absolutely spectacular. Before I get into the subject material, uh, SpitfireList.com is the website that contains, that contains everything I've ever done. I'm in my 44th year on the air. And all of my broadcast material, all of my printed material, uh, a mini library of old anti-fascist books, Um, easy-to-download PDF files, all of that is available at SpitfireList.com for free. There's also information at the top of each uh, For the Record written description and at the top of each Food for Thought post, uh, information about how to subscribe to the podcasts that are done of For the Record, Sister Station WFMU, is podcasting for the record and have been doing that for years. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program and that is increasingly the case in our changing media landscape and sister station WFMU is doing just that and there's information on the Spitfire website about how to get a uh, 32 gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it, about uh, the comments that are made by our brilliant contributing editor fractal and all kinds of other things. But again, everything on the spitfirelist.com website, my whole life's work, is downloadable for free. No money is made on that. Now, with regard to the war in Ukraine, and we've got a lot of information to catch up on, an homage to fill you in. The war, as I've said many times, is rather like the philosopher's stone of the medieval alchemists. It is a metaphysical entity, really it's a political progression, but it is a metaphysical entity that is transforming the West into the same substance as the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory. That was headed up by an OUNB fascist uh, admirer named Volodymyr Dietrovich, part of the worldwide Ukrainian OUNB diaspora that we will be talking about as we update the war. And what that institute is doing is to effect an Orwellian reversal of the historical record with regard not only to Ukraine's uh, role and the OUNB's role in World War II, but really the entire history of World War II. Uh, as I've said, with regard to the war in Ukraine, the process that I have identified uh roughly a half century ago in connection with the assassination of JFK and related topics, has now come to fruition. The massification of America is complete. Joe Biden is presiding over that. And uh, I could not really give a frank opinion of Joe Biden, because this is going to be broadcast on the radio. And uh, a candid assessment of Joe Biden, if I were to use the language that really should be used, would violate FCC rigs, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, There was a very important article, rather than reading the entire text of articles. I'm simply going to do my best to sum up some of the key points and uh, read a few sections of some articles. There was a brilliant and very, very important article in the Covert Action magazine of February 3rd of 2023, 2323, so to speak. It was by Evan Life, or where it is by Evan Rife, I may be mispronouncing his last name, capital R-E-I-F. And again, this is from Covert Action Magazine, a February 3rd of 2023, how a network of Nazi propagandists helped lay the groundwork for the war in Ukraine. And what Evan Rife is talking about here is the historical record of and the process in which that alchemical transformation of the West into the same sort of Nazi substance as the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory, it is not an accidental process, it is not happenstance, but rather it is the product of a deliberate rewriting of the history of World War II. And one of the most important people involved in this, and a central focal point of Evan Rife's extremely important article, is General Franz, z Halber, H-A-L-B-E-R. He was the Chief of Staff of the Oberkommando der Herra, and in an article that is available on the SpitfireList.com website called The Secret Treaty of Fort Hunt about the incorporation of the Reinhard Galen spy outfit into the CIA and the U.S. National Security Establishment. Uh, the way Carl Oglesby makes the point that Galen was checking his actions of going over and working for the Americans, not only with Admiral Carl von Bunitz, who succeeded Adolf Hitler as the head of state of the Third Reich, but also with General Franz Halber, indicating, as Oglesby points out, that the German general staff, the German chain of command, was still operant as of the time when Galen went to work for the CIA at the end of World War II. And not only did Franz Halber escape punishment for his crimes, and uh, he was uh head of planning for the entire German army and second in command only to Hitler himself. He was the one who issued the murderous orders that the Wehrmacht used in the former Soviet Union. Uh, our doctrine history has it that the atrocities, not only in the former Soviet Union, but in general, were the work of the SS. And while the SS and its collaborative elements, including and especially the OUNB and the UPA of Ukraine, they certainly were a point element, but one could not. One literally could not exaggerate the crimes of the Wehrmacht and uh, The Barbarossa Decree that was issued by Franz Halber, and as noted here by Evan Leif, this means that Halber was not only intimately aware of the regime's crimes, but planned most of them. Again, no order could leave OKH headquarters without the approval and signature of Franz Halber. This means that Halber was not only intimately aware of the regime's crimes, but he planned most of them. Starting with the invasion of Poland in 1939, Harvard personally authorized the liquidation of, quote, undesirables, unquote, such as Jews, Poles, and Communists. His office was responsible for the infamous Commissar Order and Barbarossa Decree, which allowed Nazi soldiers to execute civilians at will and without repercussions. These orders led to the eventual death of millions in the Soviet Union, both through deportation to camps and through brutal reprisal campaigns in occupied territories. And then moving, uh, uh, I'm going to read, obviously, I am reading sections of the article. I'm going to sum up most of it. Collective, quote, collective drastic action will be taken immediately against communities from which treacherous or insidious attacks against the Wehrmacht are launched on the orders of an officer with at least the rank of battalion commander upwards if the circumstances do not permit a speedy apprehension of individual culprits. And then uh, skipping down, under the euphemism of, quote, security warfare, unquote, the Nazis annihilated entire villages and towns in occupied territory. Depending on the time and place, this was done through methods ranging from gunfire and tortures to torture, rape, and pillaging. The result was always the same. Any settlement which may have alleged partisans was completely depopulated of every man, woman, and child. All in all... A minimum of 20 million Soviet citizens were killed by the Nazis, but some Russian scholars estimate that true true number is at least double that. It is at least 27 million, possibly more. Considering, and now I'm skipping down, the Allies considered Haldar's orders so reprehensible that Nazis such as Hermann Hoth, APOTH, and Wilhelm von Lieb were convicted of crimes against humanity simply for transmitting Halber's orders to their subordinates. Many lower-ranking Nazis were hanged for following Halber's orders in the Soviet Union. Despite this, Halber suffered no consequences whatsoever for issuing them. And uh, then noting... After Halber's surrendered to the U.S. Army, the U.S. refused to try him at Nuremberg. Instead, he faced only a minor trial for, quote, aiding the Nazi regime, unquote, in a German court. He denied any knowledge of the crimes that bore his literal signature and was found not guilty. Again, he denied any knowledge of the crimes that bore his literal signature and was found not guilty. After the war, he lived a comfortable life as an author, commentator, and, quote, historical consultant, unquote, for the U.S. Army Center of Military History, or CMH. The old fascist was rescued from the gallows to serve as the chief planner for another war. Harper no longer planned vast battles and the extermination of races, but he remained at the forefront of the war against what Harder called Judeo-Bolshevism, a term he learned from his beloved Fuhrer. Haber 's job was to rehabilitate Nazism for the benefit of his new American patrons. And in this regard, in addition to uh, giving a nod to Reinhard Gablin to go to work for the Americans, it is the historical... Phenomenon and really the ideological continuum of the Third Reich that was carried directly over into the U.S. to prosecute the Cold War and the culmination of which is manifesting today in connection with the Ukraine war when Aviator Glass's Joe, Joe Biden is presiding over the culmination, the completion of the process of the Nazification of America. Later on in this program and or the next one or two, we will talk about the complete sanitization of the Azov Nazi formations from Ukraine and how they are being cheered, uh, taken to meet congressmen, uh, being, being introduced to students at Stanford University. It is absolutely grotesque. Continuing here with Evan Weiss article. Harper's job was to rehabilitate Nazism for the benefit of his new American patrons. If the Nazis could be ideologically separated from the German people and the German army, America could use the most useful of Hitler's soldiers in their war against the Soviet Union without raising suspicion. Halberd oversaw a team of 700 former Wehrmacht officers and intentionally set about rewriting history to present the image of a clean Wehrmacht and a German people ignorant of Nazi brutality. His deputy was a CIA agent, Adolf Heusinger, a Nazi war criminal who was largely responsible for planning the endless massacres of, quote, security warfare and was later a commander of both the post-World War II German army, the Bundeswehr, and NATO. By the way, I went into Heusinger at great length in AFA program number 37, how the United States lost the Second World War. Continuing, through manipulation, fabrication, and widespread censorship, Harbour and Heusinger created a complete narrative of themselves and the Wehrmacht as brilliant, noble, and honorable victims of the madman Hitler rather than the monsters who butchered the continent. Harbour and Heusinger published reams of fantastical lies with the CMH, saying that the Wehrmacht committed no crimes on the Eastern Front, and according to Harbour and Heusinger, the Nazis set up markets and cultural centers to buy food, to buy food from local farmers and hold dances and social events for grateful people. Haber and Heusinger only briefly mentioned problems in the East, saying they were carried out by quote, Judeo-Bolshevik unquote, NKDD, Soviet infiltrators instead of the noble Wehrmacht. And the reality is noted in the next two paragraphs. None of this could have been the next None of this could have been farther from the truth. Under unambiguous orders from the OKH, the Wehrmacht was directly responsible for the subjugation and extermination of an entire continent as part of General Plan Ost. Every bit of Eastern Europe was to be picked clean, both by and for the benefit of the Wehrmacht and the soldiers did their duty. The primary weapon was starvation. The Wehrmacht sustained itself in the conquered lands, drawing on both resources and labor in massive quantities. Brutal requisition programs for grain and meat killed millions, while the rest toiled to feed their Nazi overlords on a daily ration of 420 calories. In the, planning phase for, in the planning phase for Operation Barbarossa, the Nazis concluded that the war was only winnable if the entire Wehrmacht was fed from Soviet land by the third year. By 1944, the Nazis requisitioned more than 5 million tons of grain and 10.6 million tons of other foodstuffs from occupied territory, 80% of which was consumed by the Wehrmacht. The Nazis needed more than just food to conquer the world. They also needed weapons and equipment. For this, Germany mustered its world-famous industrial might. The infamous concentration camps contained massive factory and labor complexes where millions of slaves were worked to death building the weapons and equipment the Wehrmacht used to subjugate them. Given the magnitude of the contracts, very few German corporations kept their hands clean, and even the previous kept all their blood money after the war. And again, in combination with uh, the Army CMH, Jim Halberd, and the 700 Wehrmacht officers under him, and Adolf the head of the Oberkommando der uh, Wehrmacht, and a, a key Galen operator, by the way, they sanitized uh, the reality uh, of the Third Reich, and uh, that is described here. Despite the sheer enormity of his crimes, Harbour's laundry was wildly successful. It was not until after the fall of the USSR that any Western historian questioned his lies. Even well-meaning researchers were ensnared by Harber's trap. Harber enjoyed special status, releasing information to only the most privileged journalists and historians. With the legitimacy granted by his title access to information, and U.S. government backing, Harber's CMH was considered a gold standard source for academic historians, and their information was highly coveted. Harber used this to carefully vet to whom he released information, ensuring he got the maximum impact. From 1955 to 1991, his works were cited at least 700 times in academic publications, especially by professors and researchers in Western military academies. Since Western historians were forced to drink from as well, they passed down the poison to their students, and from there the wise worked their way into the public consciousness. Eventually, Nazi propaganda was laundered into, quote, truth, unquote, through simple repetition and careful control of sources. Although access to Soviet records has led to increasing resistance to this propaganda, some historians, such as Timothy Snyder of Yale University, still lean heavily on or recycle Hogler's ideas to support what is known as, quote, the double genocide, unquote, theory. Created by Baltic neo-Nazis to hide their involvement in the Holocaust and widespread collaboration with the Nazi regime, this theory languished in the darkness until Snyder brought it into the mainstream with, quote, bloodlands, unquote. Even 70 years after its publication, Hogger's poison remains a key element in attempts to portray the Red Army as nothing more than savages and thereby make the Nazis seem tame. The Army knew that Harvard published nothing but apologia, but that was the point. Harvard remained with the army for decades and was frequently rewarded for a job well done. He was even given a medal for meritorious civilian service in nineteen sixty one in honor of his tireless service in the cause of genocide denial. Again, uh, a couple of key segments here. From 1955 to 1991, his works were cited at least 700 times in academic publications, especially by professors and researchers in Western military academies. And knowing here, uh, skipping down, he was even given a Medal for Meritorious Civilian Service in 1961 in honor of his tireless service, in the cause of genocide. Benial. Skipping down. After decades of struggling in the dark, the fall of the Soviet Union created a golden opportunity for fascist academics. As ex-Soviet professors left, retired, or were fired in the tumultuous 1990s, an entire generation of fascist academics nurtured in the West was standing by to replace them. Lavishly funded private schools popped up all over the former Warsaw Pact, staffed with fascist professors from Canada, Australia, and the U.S., who had spent decades rehabilitating their Nazi collaborationist predecessors with almost limitless Financial backing from NATO, uh, but biz- a busying array of affiliated NGOs, the fascists could now rewrite history to their liking and train an entire generation of new soldiers for their ideological war. And again, the process that is being discussed here by Evan Life is the process that has come to fruition through the war in Ukraine, and it is the process that has led to the completion of the process of the Nazification of America. And this is an extremely important article by Evan Leif, again from Covert Action Magazine, of February 3rd of the year 2023. And we are seeing the normalization of this sort of revisionism all over. And we're going to I'm going to uh, simply cite in detail and then do my best to extract the essence of a number of articles that are talking about the normalization and the whitewashing of the Nazi Azov military formations in Ukraine. Uh, an article by Mark Sloboda in his Substack uh, articles, Substack writings. Um, Ukraine's commander-in-chief is an open banderite fascist. And this is from January 14th of 2023. And this is about uh, Mr. Zaluzhny, uh, Valery Zaluzhny, capital Z-A-L-U-Z-H-N-Y. He is indeed the chief of staff of the Ukrainian army, and he is an open devotee of Stefan Bandera, the Nazi collaborator and war criminal who was the head of the OUNB. Again, that article which documents Zeluzhny's open, unabashed affiliation with the tradition of Stefan Bandera, and indeed his name, Ukraine's commander-in-chief is an open banderite fascist by Mark Sloboda of Substack. And that goes into this at considerable length. Another article about the whitewashing of the Azov uh, regiment, Azov formations. And this is from FAIR, the uh, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. Eric Horowitz of November 30th of last year, 2022, Action alert, New York Times has found new neo-Nazi troops to lionize in Ukraine. Now, this is from an article by Karata Gall, and it is about the Butzvo Battalion, a sabotage battalion that is uh, lionized as sort of a Christian Taliban. It is one of the Nazi formations in the Ukrainian military, and it is being whitewashed, in no uncertain terms, uh, by the New York Times and in the West. Again, that was from, uh, an article by Eric Horowitz from the Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting publication of November 30th of 19, uh, of 2022. Again, action alert. New York Times has found new neo-Nazi troops to Weimar's in Ukraine. And, uh, the next article is from the Naked Capitalism blog, and that is a very, very useful blog. It's called Normalizing Nazis at Vogue, MSNBC, and quote, America's largest documentary festival, unquote, but not Catalonia. It, it was posted on December 5th of last year, 2022, by Lambert Strether S T R E P H uh, E R of the Naked Capitalism blog, and once again, this talks about the normalization, the sanitizing, the, uh, the Vladimir Putin before launching the special military operation listed one of the goals as the demoxification of Ukraine. Well, that is what is happening in an ideological and PR sense. And the the tradition of Franz Haber and the CMH and the 700 Wehrmacht veterans who were put to work by Franz Haber, courtesy of the U.S., is now uh, basically bearing fruit in connection with the Ukraine war where openly, not the openly Nazi Azov formations are being sanitized. And again, Vogue magazine, yep, MSNBC, yep, and America's largest documentary festival are all talking about the Azovs as, uh, wonderful, uh, defenders of indeed, uh, quote, Western values Unquote. An absolutely remarkable article is in the gray zone of October 5th of 2022. It is by Moss Wilson of October, uh, again October 5th, 2022. Now, all of you are Azov. Openly neo-Nazi Ukrainian delegation meets Congress. And tours U.S. And this talks about, again, the uh, introduction of Nazi Azov material to not only Congress people, but uh, touring the U.S. And one of the things that is discussed in this is the introduction of some of the Azov veterans at Stanford University. Skipping down. Earlier this year, Stanford's Center for International Security and Cooperation published a detailed report on the Azov movement, a far-right nationalist network. Michael McCall, Michael McFall directs the Freeman spoley Institute for International Studies, of which CISAC is part. He apparently took no issue with the neo-Nazi symbol projected behind him, and again, these Nazis were taken and they were introduced. Two graduate students or students at Stanford University. This, again, an insidious continuation of the dynamic that is uh, discussed uh, in connection with Michael McFall. It is absolutely spectacular. And uh, there also is... Uh, discussion of the ABL. I'll find this in uh, just a minute uh, but the whitewashing of the Azovs also involves uh, the ADL itself and this was another Moss Robeson article and I will uh, dig this one up here but uh, When the ABL, the uh, Anti-Defamation League, uh, was confronted with evidence, for example, of the Azov units, uh, being lionized at uh, Disney World as part of the wounded warrior, uh, dynamic, we spoke about that before, the ABL responded, well, gee, they're not really Nazis, and this is part of it, And, and this is particularly Disgusting in uh, the context of what the ADL is supposed to be doing, and uh, this again is from the gray zone, and it is uh, it, it basically the it, it is from by Alexander Rubinstein from December eighth of twenty twenty two, the ABL issues statement declaring Ukraine's Azov Battalion no longer Far right. So, we've got the ABL falling right in line with the tradition of Franz Halbert. And again, that Evan Life article is incredibly important and it really fills in a lot of the historical gap about why we are seeing the phenomenon we are seeing where uh, basically you see all the yellow and uh, blue flags being waved by progressives and liberals who are basically supporting a Nazi government in Ukraine. And make no mistake about it, it isn't Russian propaganda or Putin propaganda, and it isn't being disseminated by, quote, Russian agents, unquote, or Putin boots, unquote. It is an historical fact. But with the systematic... Revision of history. Courtesy of Franz Halber and Company, we are seeing, uh, the f- Ukraine war basically functioning, as I said, rather like the mythical philosopher's stone of the alchemists. And they are metaphysically transforming the substance of the West and its institutions and its individuals, including many of you, dear listeners, into the same substance as the Ukrainian Institute for National Memory under Volodymyr Vyotrovich. Again, Alexander Rubinstein from the Gray Zone, December 8th of 2022, the ADL issues statement declaring Ukraine's Azov battalion no longer, quote, far-right, unquote. The Anti-Defamation League has emailed the Gray Zone a defense of the Azov Battalion and refused to condemn the Pentagon for armoring a veteran of the group who sports neo-Nazi, who sports Nazi-inspired tattoos. On November, a November 9th email from the Anti-Defamation League to the Gray Zone provided a twisted defense of Ukraine's Azov Battalion. Despite its self-proclaimed anti-hate, unquote, mission, The ADL insisted in the email it, quote, does not, unquote, consider Azov as the, quote, far-right group it once was. Uh, and, And one of the things that is so remarkable about this is that the Azov's Nazi orientation was a matter of public record. For years, and in fact, many of the media voices have been knowing, what? Nazis in Ukraine? Oh no, 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 certainly not the Azovs. They were quite candid about that happening, as noted here. Skipping down. Back in March of 2022, just a month before the Battle of Mariupol, the ADL itself issued a report acknowledging that white nationalists See Azov quote as a pathway to the creation of a national socialist state in Ukraine, unquote. Eight months later, however, the ABL has changed its tune, asserting to this outlet that Azov has looted the fascists from its ranks. So did Azov change its Nazi ways, or did the ABL simply shift its messaging to conform to the imperatives of a Biden administration still intent on sending billions in military aid to Ukraine. Well, I think that, <laughs> that, uh, basically, uh, is a rhetorical question. And in addition to the Nazi character of the Azov itself, again, being whitewashed by, among other elements, the ABL, which is uh, a truly puke uh, situation, but, you know, sadly, not surprising for the U.S. and not all that surprising for the A.B.L. Uh, we have heard all about alleged Russian war crimes in Ukraine, and in fact, uh, an awful lot of those crimes have actually been committed by drumroll fanfare, by the very Ukrainian Nazi-linked elements that have been whitewashed. An excellent analysis of this was penned by Scott Ritter and, uh, he critiqued a 60-minute segment about the alleged, about the Butcher massacres which alleged that they were performed by the Russians and he sets the record straight. This is from a Scott Ritter extra from uh, October 21st of 2022. Bucha Revisited, 60 Minutes, regurgitates disinformation about who committed war crimes. And it reads, The Ukrainian narrative constructed by the West is built on a bodyguard of lies. And there is no lie greater than that which blames Russia for the deaths of hundreds of Ukrainian civilians in Bucha who were slaughtered by Ukrainian security forces. Sometime during the period between the 1st and 3rd of April of 2022, Ukrainian security forces entered the northern Kiev suburb of Bucha. Russian forces, who had occupied the town, had evacuated on March 30th, part of a general realignment of forces announced by the Russian Ministry of Defense on March 25th. Butcher, had been on the front lines and was the scene of heavy fighting between the Russians and Ukrainians. Hundreds of civilians caught up in this fighting were killed and wounded. Russian troops were civil to the Ukrainian civilians who remained in Butcher, handing out humanitarian supplies to those in need and bartering dry goods with local vendors for fresh eggs and berry products. When the Russians withdrew, pro-Russian so civilians were encouraged to depart with them. This underscored the Russian understanding of the potential for Ukrainian reprisals against any civilian deemed to have been, quote, cooperating or collaborating unquote, with their forces during the period in which Russian troops occupied Bucha. Many Ukrainians who have interacted with the Russian troops did not leave assuming that their normal interactions with Russian soldiers, including limited commerce and the acceptance of humanitarian supplies in order to survive, did not constitute treason against the Ukrainian state. They were wrong. Shortly after Russian troops departed Bucha, Ukrainian security forces made their way into the town. Announcements were made on social media and public broadcasting warning the citizens of Bucha about, quote, cleansing, unquote, operations targeting collaborators. In light of these announcements, many of the Ukrainians who had remained in Bucha became concerned about their fate and began to flee toward Russian lines. They wore the white armband, indicating that they were not a threat to the Russian troops. Many also brought with them Russian-provided rations to sustain them on their journey. But it was too late. Ukrainian security forces, in particular the Safari unit staffed by veterans of the neo-Nazi Azov regiment, caught up with scores of these refugees while they made their way north and, in the vernacular of the Ukrainians, quote, cleansed them, unquote, gumming them down on the spot, or binding their hands behind their backs before executing them in the alleyways and streets of Abuja. The evidence of this crime was overwhelming, but the, quote, collective West, unquote, led by a coterie of erstwhile journalists whose function had transformed from reporters of fact-based truth to stenographers of fictional propaganda, was engaged in a larger information operation designed to shift public opinion away from the need to seek a negotiated settlement to the Russian-Ukrainian conflict toward the sustainment of a long-term war of attrition designed to weaken Russia in the long term. To accomplish this task, the collective West, unquote, needed to construct an unambiguous good-versus-evil, narrative, which portrayed the Ukrainians as the brave defenders of democratic values such as freedom and liberty, and the Russians as rapacious thugs marauding across the Ukrainian landscape, brutalizing an innocent civilian population. This kind of unambiguous differentiation of roles was necessary in order to gain popular support for what was to come, a multi-billion dollar infusion of financial and military aid designed to transform the Russian-Ukraine conflict into a de facto existential struggle between quote, good, unquote, i.e. NATO, and quote, evil, unquote, i.e. Russia. It worked. Mucha became the symbol around which the citizens of the, quote, collective West, unquote, rallied, supporting not only the intervention of their leaders to undermine a viable diplomatic off-ramp from the conflict being negotiated in Istanbul between Russian and Ukrainian authorities, but also binding them to the devastating economic consequences of the failed effort to defer and defeat Russia through sanctions. Instead of demanding that their respective leaders work to restore a semblance of economic stability at home, the citizens of the collective West, unquote, applauded while their governments transferred tens of billions of dollars of their hard-earned treasure to sustain a government which more closely mirrored the fictional Russian thug manufactured in the imaginations of Western mainstream media. And again, this is a continuation of the process that uh, Franz Halbert and the 700 Wehrmacht veterans under his command undertook for the U.S., and it had the most profound effect on the American academic record and understanding of the Second World War. Continuing with Scott Rivers' analysis, seven months later, the collective West, unquote, finds itself at a new inflection point. After the building up over the course of the summer months, a reserve corps of fresh forces trained and equipped to NATO standards, Ukraine, with the assistance of NATO intelligence, communications, logistics, and operational planning support, carried out a much ballyhooed offensive in the direction of Kharkov and Kherson. By sacrificing this new NATO army... Tens of thousands of Ukrainian soldiers were killed and wounded, hundreds of tanks and armored vehicles lost. Ukraine was able to achieve impressive territorial gains without inflicting any meaningful damage to the Russian military. This pirate, quote, victory, unquote, led to Ukraine destroying its strategic reserve without accomplishing any meaningful military objectives. Moreover, the Russian response, consolidation of defense lines, partial mobilization of 300,000 troops, and the initiation of a strategic air campaign designed to paralyze Ukraine, has radically shifted the narrative away from, quote, Ukraine is winning a Russian collapse is imminent, unquote, to, quote, a Russian victory is a defeat for NATO, unquote. Russia is winning. NATO is being defeated on the battlefields of Ukraine. Rather than accept this new reality and seek a negotiated settlement of the conflict, the collective West once again turns to its time-tested playbook of generating a false good versus evil narrative capable of motivating nations who have long ago emptied their arsenals and treasuries in support of Ukraine, and who currently are spurting economic and, and who are currently sparing economic and social disaster in the face as winter approaches, and the reality of the consequences of sanctioning Russian energy hits home to once again invest good money after bad and double down on the losing bet that it was, is, and forever will be. Ukraine. One of the main problems facing the so-called journalists, unquote, who populate the Western mainstream media, is that even fiction writers as capable as themselves could not craft a believable narrative based upon the emerging reality that Ukraine is the living manifestation of the sickening ideology of Stefan Bondera, whose murderous ethos has infected every aspect of Ukraine's government, military, and security services. The other problem was that the Ukrainians were, simply put, liars. Exhibit number one. Ukraine's former ombudsman for human rights, Lyudmila Denisova. In the aftermath of the, quote, Bucha massacre, unquote, narrative manufactured by Ukraine and disseminated by their compliant co-conspirators in the mainstream Western media, Benisova sought to sustain the moral outrage the original stories generated by releasing even more tales from the dark side. Typical of her mother's operandi was the story she told the BBC and which was picked up unquestioningly by other Western news outlets including Newsweek and the Washington Post about alleged sexual violent crimes committed by Russian soldiers in Ukraine. Quote, about 25 girls and women aged 14 to 24 were systematically raped during the occupation in the basement of one house in Bucha. Denisova told the BBC. Quote, nine of them are pregnant. Russian soldiers told them they would rape them to the point where they wouldn't want sexual contact with any man to prevent them from having Ukrainian children, unquote. None of this was true, And the problem with telling a lie of such magnitude is eventually someone, even a thoroughly compromised Western, quote, journalist, unquote, note the quotes, is going to want to speak directly with the victims. There were none. Denisova afterwards explained the reason behind her lies. Quote, I talked about terrible things, unquote, she told the Ukrainian newspaper, again quoting, in order to somehow push them, i.e. the West, to make the decisions that Ukraine and the Ukrainian people need, unquote. In one particular case, Benesova noted that the Italians were, quote, against the provision of weapons to us, unquote, but after hearing her speak, decided, quote, they will support Ukraine, including by the provision of weapons, unquote. In the aftermath of the Ukrainian reconquest of Kharkov, the Ukrainian authorities tried to create a, quote, new butcher narrative, unquote, this time around the existence of mass graves in the vicinity of Ezian. But this storyline soon fell apart amid growing evidence, one more time. But this storyline soon fell apart amid growing direct evidence of Ukrainian atrocities committed against anyone deemed to be a, quote, collaborator, unquote. Flushed with victory, the Ukrainian supporters of Stefan Bandera openly bragged about their crimes. One Ukrainian volunteer passionate commander, a member of the white sector political party, admitted his crimes to a Ukrainian journalist, who expressed no emotion upon learning about the deaths of so many of her fellow citizens. Quote, We haven't got time to put them in jail, the right secret sub- right thug said, noting that those accused of collaborating with the Russians, quote, just disappear. Ukraine will have to conduct the census, he bragged, because so many people have disappeared, unquote. Videos of freshly dug graves filled with the bodies of freshly executed men and women, all in civilian clothing, their hands bound behind their backs, backed up the commander's words. Unable to craft a narrative capable of overcoming this brutish reality, the mainstream media resorted to the age-old trick of breathing fresh life into an old story they repackaged the lie of the original Russian sin, the alleged, quote, massacre, unquote, of Butcher. On October 16th, CBS's flagship news program 60 Minutes broadcast a story entitled The Lost Souls of Bucha." unquote. Scott Pelley, the correspondent given the task of resurrecting this story, narrated a script designed to pull at the heartstrings of anyone listening. The town of Bucha, he intoned, lived in relative obscurity on the international stage until early spring when Russian occupying forces retreated from the town and left behind devastation and death that shocked the entire world. Over 27 days, Russian troops killed more than 400 civilians in the Kiev suburb. Some of the, the victims were discovered bound and tortured, Many were left to rot in the place where they were killed. Peli had visited Bucha shortly after it was recaptured by Ukrainian security forces and played a major role in parroting the Ukrainian narrative of, quote, Russia bad, unquote, when it came to attributing the cause of death to hundreds of Ukrainian civilians whose bodies littered the landscape. According to 60 Minutes, Pelly quote, saw the devastation firsthand and witnessed a mass grave dug behind a church in the town center, unquote, and, quote, vowed to return to learn more about the people who were killed and buried in that mass grave. Pelly's story did just that. There is no doubting that there were victims whose bodies were buried in in Bucha, but they weren't killed by Russians they were murdered by Ukrainians. Hopefully, this time, the Western audience has wised up about the truth of what is going on inside Ukraine today. The reality of the Ukrainian government, which has wrapped itself in the red and black banner of the right sector, replicating the murderous history of Stefan Bombera and his followers in Bohemia and Eastern Galicia in every village, town, and city captured from the Russians, and again that uh, is from the uh, blog of Scott River by the way, Scott River is a veteran of the u s Marine Corps. he also was an inspector for international weapons treaties and took a lot of heat uh, for uh, working against the narrative, the fiction, that Saddam Hussein had WMDs. And uh, Scott Ritter has had uh, many other uh, significant articles. We will talk about those as well. He had a, a wonderful takedown of Christian Freeland. Uh, she, I think, is now the Canadian Foreign Minister... She may have been the defense minister. Uh, that particular article, again, a very important one. Uh, Christian Freeland's Nazi Problem. Scott River's response to a subscriber's criticism. And the subscriber said basically that, uh, Scott River been wrong by, uh, intimating. Oh, here's what they said about uh, skipping down. I was shocked, Monica wrote, to hear you on Anna Kay's program. That's Anya. Komischek, a Polish Armand blogger host to show through the eyes of on which I have been a guest several times most re- recently on November eleventh a man so attached to the respect of the constitution and its laws called Christian Freeland a Nazi and muffled something under your breath about Azov and <laughs> he notes skip me on I, mean, I can only encapsulate this article when my do speak. I am as straight to the point as I can possibly be. Christian Freeland is a Ukrainian nationalist of the worst kind and apologist for the Nazi affiliations of that movement's past, including the role played by her grandfather and an active facilitator of the ideology and symbology of hate that is the Nazi movement. In short, she is a Nazi. We'll go into this in the future program. But what we're seeing is a continuation and an expansion of the process that was undertaken by Franz Halbert, by 700 Wehrmacht veterans, including Adolf Heusinger, and that has rewritten the history of the Second World War. And now we are seeing the Serpent's Walk scenario coming to fruition. Remember, www.spitfirelist.com has all of my life's work available for download for free. You can find, about, find out about the WFMU podcast and about a 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work on it. I get no money whatsoever from any of this. This concludes For The Record program number 1291, How Many Lives Before You Belong to the Lives, part 23. This is being recorded. On February 13th of the year 2023, I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.